you have to do these sermons as part of our uh, voting of elders, which happens in the course of the next uh, number of weeks. And uh, I'm told that uh, this is some help to you as um, you're guided by God to who you might vote for. We've been doing, if you're a visitor, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, where we've come to that, if uh, I read it to you, I'm not going to shy away from reading it and uh, probably from preaching on it just specifically this morning, but we will come back to the Sermon on the Mount. You know the next commandment pretty well too. Jesus went on in Matthew 5, 27. Don't go to bed with another spouse, but don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for for good in the dump. I don't know why that comes up. Fitzroy, they always seem to be passages that come up right for the occasion. As you're voting for elders, I have no idea why that has come up. But as I say, actually, we'll come back to the Sermon on the Mount because I think as we go through 1 Peter 5, which we're going to concentrate on today, the Sermon on the Mount, which I think relates to all our discipleship, but we will notice some things from it as we go on. Jonathan has read from us this passage in 1 Peter 5 about... Uh, the elders, the leaders of congregations. <clears throat> I um, got the whole chapter read because even though just some of it maybe is specific to elders, it's a fantastic uh, chapter of scripture. But let me bring three things. It's Presbyterian tradition that I have to do this. Why not be Presbyterian? Three things out of this passage that might just lead us as we scan this congregation to find the elders that will lead us into the next 20, 30 years, thinking in those terms. Peter writes, I have a special concern for you church leaders. I know what it's like to be a leader, in and Christ's sufferings as well as the coming glory. Here's my concern, that you care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd. That's the first thing I want to look at as we think about what we're looking for and the elders' names that we will put down over the next couple of weeks. Someone with the diligence and the vision of a shepherd. I uh, love the creative midfield player. For those as old as me, Gunter Netzer, who played for Germany at the time they were winning things back in the early 70s. Didn't have to run around like a mad thing. But if he had the ball at his feet, he could change a game with just one pass because he didn't take just a pass. He seemed to know from the middle of the pitch, like a Glenn Hoddle, David Silva maybe more in these days, he just knew where he could find the pass that would change the game. To do that, he needed peripheral vision. He needed to be able to see where he was with the ball here, but he also needed to see the entire pitch. He also needed to see who the players were that might get in the way of a pass, 
and where the vulnerability was in the opposition. Who you want to pass the ball to? Now, if you're playing for Germany at international level, that's not as big an issue. But in my day, when you were playing on the school playground, you might have been able to make the pass. But that was the guy you didn't want to pass it to. You needed to know what's going on around you. You needed to take in the entire pitch. You needed to take in the entire game. And it's possible that you've seen it if you watch any soccer. Somebody with a ball here looking that way can play a ball that way into the feet of some striker who can put it in the net. The peripheral vision. Seeing it before he does it. Knowing what the pitch is like. All those things. It applies, I guess, to various other sports as well as soccer. That, I think, is what a shepherd might be when we're looking at it in these terms. Somebody who sees the whole picture. Somebody who has a vision of where we are. Somebody has a vision of who we are. Somebody has a vision of today's vulnerabilities of the church. Those things that might attack the church. Somebody who has a peripheral vision that might be able to see us through. Navigating us through what is an incredible, difficult time to do church. Not only a difficult time to do church because of what's going on outside the church, but a difficult time to do church because the changes that we need to make as church have never been made before. And we're going to have to try and take what Jonathan called the enduring word of God last week and work out with that peripheral vision. How do we play this endurable word of God in the time that we live in? I think it's a frightening time to be a church leader because we're in an area of space and history where we have nothing to fall back on and say, oh, they get through this period of change like this. Everything's changing. And we have to work out how the enduring word of God is molded and shaped into the changing circumstances around us. It's going to take vision to be able to do that. But of course, when we look at a shepherd, you're immediately thinking of Psalm 23. The Lord's my shepherd. And I guess what we're also looking for from 1 Peter 5 here is a shepherd who follows Jesus as the shepherd, but then can lead us in that following. So what in Psalm 23 might we learn about what shepherds do? Well, if I go back again to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, we don't use this every week, but if you're a visitor for some reason this week, some of his paraphrases seem to uh, hit the spot. The, as God is our shepherd, it says in Psalm 23 by Eugene Peterson, he's embedded us down in lush meadows to find quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. We need elders that will let us catch our breath and then send us in the right direction. As the sheep needed to catch a breath, as they needed lush meadows, as they needed maybe time before they would go on the next part of their track that the shepherd was taking them on, they needed to catch their breath and then be led in the right places. Who among us are those who you feel in your life might do that? Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side, your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. Now, 
yes, this is about God and this is about him as our shepherd, but we following Jesus into the image of Christ, who are the people that in Death Valley might allow you to have some strength, might come alongside you in those moments to give you the courage to take the right direction? Who are they? You serve me a six-course dinner. It is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, isn't it? There's some of this is flurry translation. He would never claim it is translation. You serve me six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my dripping head. My cup brims with blessing. Who are those people? Who are those people around you in your journey of faith here in Fitzroy that have been that to you, that could be that to you, that you wouldn't mind making you a six-course dinner? And if you get an invite to a six-course dinner in the next three days, there might be something behind that, so don't just take it at face value. Do we know those kinds of shepherds among us? We choose elders for the next 20 years in the year that we remember a few people who took a shepherd's lead and led a congregation down to the law courts to start what became Fitzroy Presbyterian. 200 years ago, we've come on this journey and we were at Presbytery last week in Beaver Presbyterian. They're um, celebrating their 50th anniversary. And Roger Crooks was telling us what it was like in 1963. And because it was Roger Crooks, he was rightfully saying, Man United won the cup and they're still at the top. I did tell him that they weren't the last Manchester team to win the league, nor the last Manchester team to win the cup. It's about time they won something. So if they win something this year, we better give them that chance. But he went on about only being about 250,000 cars in the whole of Northern Ireland. Told us the price of things that was just a ridiculous kind of price for things. And that they're thinking they've been here 50 years, half century, but like cricketers, he said, we want to make the century. We've been here 200 years. We've existed 200 years. Imagine the changes that have happened since Beaver started 50 years ago. And then imagine the changes that have happened in the 200 years of our existence. And we want to vote for shepherds, elders, visionaries with peripheral vision that will see us as I have challenged us to be. A witness to Jesus in the center of Belfast for the next 50 years, 100 years or 200 years. Because the witnesses to Christ in the center of Belfast are closing almost by the week. Some of you told me that you used to pass seven or eight churches, Presbyterian churches, to come to Fitzroy, and now you maybe only pass one or two. It could be that in a few years' time, we're one of the closest churches to the city center. And that's a challenge for us. Do we want to be here in another 200 years? Or do we want to sell up and go and buy out at the maze in case John Lewis happens to appear? What do we want to do? Have we decided that we're up for the challenge of being Christ's witness in the city center. Because if we are and we want to stay alive, we need to vote for elders who are going to be able to take us in that next 10 years, 20 years and 30 years. And it's going to change. The stonework is not going to last 200 more years. It's going to change physically. But it's going to change even more remarkably in how we do it. Because already those of you who are under 30 are saying, 
Why are we still listening to some guy preaching at us in a service every week? Because it's not how you learn. It's not how we do life anymore. This is of another age. And we're going to need leaders. Because I need them beside me to work out in my time left here. What we're going to hand on to whoever comes after me. And I've told you before, I really don't fancy the challenges that they'll have. But I'll not be here. I'm going to Ballycastle to read books. But the people you vote for in the next two weeks will be here. And they will be the shepherds that will lead this congregation into the next 200 years. The other thing that comes through in this passage in uh, 1 Peter 5 is pastoral care. Let me see if I can pick it up again here. Um, Not calculating what you can get out of it, but acting spontaneously, not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way. Peter's interested in elders who will be pastoral. When we decided to send our girls to Hunter House or Caitlin the first time, it wasn't because of uh, any um, stats in the paper or school cup rugby wins because Hunter House have never won the school's cup. Although the year she went, Balamine Academy did have it that year. And I remember saying to Jasmine when she went down to see Methody that when she went into the, um, the PE place, could she not ask, where's the school's cup? And then her friend would say, oh, it's in Balamina this year. And I was going to give them a tenner if they said that, but, but they, they really didn't. Sadly, yesterday's results don't suggest that um, it'll not be in Balamina next year, but there is a something in the family. There's a person from Sullivan here, beat BRA yesterday, all you BRA ones. There's a lot of cheering in my wife's uh, heart at the minute. But anyway, let me get away from rugby for a moment. We went there because the, the headmaster said, the first words we heard from a headmaster were, girls, you need to decide what the best school is for you, which might not be the best school for anybody else. And when you come here, what we'll do for you is, we're going to pastorally look after you so that you want to go to school every morning. After that, the results will take care of themselves. To me, that was revolutionarily pastoral. Whatever particle of light we are in this city tomorrow, if we're lawyers or teachers or professors or doctors, if we're shop assistants, if we work in cafes, if we're retired and we're just on the street with our neighbors or friends or in a cafe having something or if we're upstairs at Zumba on Thursday at 9.30, you're all welcome. Here's the thing. You will do God's work if the function of your job adds pastoral care. I used to go into Rose's brother. He was my doctor. Didn't care what he wrote in the prescription. You see, when I came out, I was transformed. Because to that bit of, well, what's wrong with you now, Stephen? How's the asthma? And is the Ventolin working? All the technical stuff that he could have done well, he added pastoral care. He made me feel important. He related to my soul. 
and it transformed me in those moments. I think I might have went once even when I wasn't sick. Teachers, it's not about giving them information. You've got our children and young people in a place in their lives where they need to know they're loved and cared for and precious, and you're with them all day. <laughs> Lawyers, there's a tough place to be. Guy went through a light once and hit me as he went through. He said he was an amber, but I'd seen a green light. You see in there, I might as well have been one of the Birmingham Six. Because it was just a horrendous place to be. You could function and get justice. But if you bring pastoral care into that. We go to Ballycastle. The one difference we see when we go to the counter in their Tesco's. Well, not completely, but mostly is. 16-year-old shop assistants who ask you how you are. Who can converse with you and relate to you. Might not be Christian pastoral care. But it makes a difference when you're shopping. Whatever we do, when we add this dynamic of pastoral care, somehow God gets a a tunnel or an avenue or a conduit into people's lives and souls. As we're particles of light tomorrow, let's pastorally care for the city. And as you're looking for elders... Don't look for the ones that have it all together necessarily or the ones that can communicate the best or the ones that can do or do or do really brilliantly. Ask about the ones who add pastoral care because what they're going to have to do as well is in a visionary way lead us forward. They're going to have to care for us all those times that we really need cared for. But if you're going to find that care for when you need it, you probably need it in the in-between times when it doesn't seem you do. When you're looking to write a name down, who's the person here? Who's the person across the church that just gives you that sense of special? And then finally, in these three points, and this is the interesting one for me. Let me read what Peterson says, verses 5 to 7. But all of you leaders and followers alike are to be down to earth with each other. For God has had it with the proud, but takes delight in just plain people. So he says, verse 6, paraphrase I know, but this is the humility of the reading we had in uh, today's New International Version. This is how Peterson puts it. Be content with who you are and don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Being at peace with yourself. There's the greatest gift in the entire world. Being at peace with yourself. And this is where it kind of begins to connect, I think, with the Sermon on the Mount. Donald Miller, who would be, I think, today, probably one of the the leading voices in uh, American uh, Christianity. Uh, If you remember back to September, we had Steve Taylor here, who was the director of the film Blue Like Jazz that was being shown in the QFT. Uh, Donald Miller was the guy who wrote the book, Blue Like Jazz. And he does a a fascinating blog. And uh, in that blog this week, he has uh, talked about how he's often criticized for not being upfront enough about his faith. And he answers it really, really well. And I want to just read some of this to you uh, right now. He says, first of all, 
Nothing could be further from the truth about him being upfront about his faith. But here is, this is really, I think, quite fascinating and comes into the context of this bit of 1 Peter 5 and who we're looking for as elders. He says this, the truth is, I think a public display of faith is fine and honors God, unless that public display is really about generating a certain reputation in a religious community. Many of us who grew up in the church understand how this works. People who are the most zealous often rise to the top in a small subculture of evangelicalism, especially in the microcosm of a given church. But moderation about such outward displays should be governed by Scripture itself. Interesting. Moderation about such outward displays should be governed by Scripture itself. Here is what Jesus says on the issue in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, that's what Donald uses. This is what Jesus says. Be especially careful when you're trying to do good so that you don't make a performance out of it. And when you do something good for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play, play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching. Playing to the crowds. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Miller goes on again. These aren't the words of a preacher or a Christian writer. These are the words of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 6. The reality is Jesus doesn't need for us to put on a show. He doesn't need for us to kneel in the end zone, engage in controlling conversations, or argue theology over Twitter. Instead, there is a power in quiet, private spirituality. If we want to see change, we can pray, and we can have no one and we can have one-to-one conversations. When we switch from a loud, showy public faith to a private, quiet faith, we will find God begins to work, and we don't have to work as hard. Interesting. Interesting. I know the musicians I have befriended who say they're always under pressure to sing about Jesus in their songs, theatrically and on display. Whereas Miller takes us into the Sermon on the Mount, where we with a quiet faith, we can let God work through us to do many things. Can I say that came to my mind this last week as I've meditated on John Montgomery's life? John was in Cambodia for five weeks a while back. I didn't even know he was gone. I remember saying to him once when he was in one of these trips, we must get you up to speak about that. Oh, no, stop it. On Friday at his memorial service, how many people were annoyed? that they weren't the only family with a treehouse built by John. Because everybody in the room had a treehouse built by John. Or he'd fixed everybody's gate. But he didn't go and show about it. He didn't talk about it or make it theatrical. He just quietly followed Jesus. And on Friday, the legacy was right there. Because God had used all those little gate fixings and all those tree houses and all those different things that he did 
to make people feel special and closer to God. Finally, two things from my mentors as I grew up in ministry. John Dixon, my minister in First Antrim, the first day he had me in his office before I went out visiting. He said to me, Steve, he said, I'm going to tell you something. You'll stick with your whole ministry. He says, you're going to go into homes in First Antrim and within 30 seconds, I'll give you the most theatrical testimony you've ever heard. And then he says, you're going to go into homes and you might be here for a few years and they might never be able just to articulate Jesus at all. He says, you see, when you've been here for a couple of years, you'll realize the ones that spoke the fastest are not the ones that you can depend on. And the ones who can hardly articulate it will be the saints of God. When we're voting for elders. And then, I'm sure I've shared this with you before, but I was asked by Questions of Faith in the Telegraph a couple of weeks ago about a moment of enlightenment, and because this was so long, they asked me for a shorter one. Um, So I can share it with you, and I think I've shared it with you before. I certainly shared it in the interview for the job here. When they asked me how God had led me in my life, you're in the moment, you're upstairs in Alexander Hall, you've all, you guys, I can see some of you as they look out, elders stand in front of you, and they say to you, Tell me how maybe God, how you've known God leading in your life. And the first thing that comes into my head is Ken Yule's kitchen in the Mansett Fitzroy. That's a difficult moment, awkward moment, my, my daughter would say. When I came back to Queen's, I wanted to go around all the ministers in the area and say, look, I'm the chaplain. Could we do things together, whatever, whatever. Ken was uh, as busy as I was. But one morning in Derivolgate, got a phone call. Half an hour, Steve. Get up here. So up I went, I can remember turning into Maryville, it's really bizarre, it's really bizarre, turning into Maryville and driving around and finding number 64 and going in the back and into that, which is now our kitchen, and uh, Ken had the, 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 cat, the kettle on and he poured me a cup of coffee and he says, now somebody's coming at 11, it was 20 to 11 at this stage, you know, and uh, he says, but you know, let's have a cup of coffee, and then he said to me this, he said to me this, this was a second blinding moment of genius in my life, but this is what he said, he said, Steve, when you get to 50, I was 35 at the time, I think. When you get to 50, make sure you know who you are. Don't be looking over your shoulder to your peers in the ministry and trying to please them. Because I have too many friends who really have no idea who they are because he was 50 then. Just make sure you follow Jesus and you don't play to the crowds in the church. I celebrated my 50th birthday up here with you and probably couldn't be your minister if I hadn't have followed his wisdom to be yourself, to be content with who you are, to not have to be something other than who you are. It's what Peter's honoring about in chapter five here when we're looking for leaders. We need leaders who know who they are, who are confident in who they are and are not playing to a crowd but they will be able to make decisions maybe back there in the L-shaped room or hopefully when it changes shape in a wee while that are on. What does Jesus want me to do in this moment? And what's Jesus saying for Fitzroy in this moment? Not what people are going to say about Fitzroy out there because it's too late. That's what we need. Those with the peripheral vision. Those who can see the whole pitch and the whole society and the whole culture. Those who are going about pastoral care deep into how they relate to people. And those who are so confident within their faith in Christ and the grace of God 
that they will make decisions that might be hard decisions and tough decisions as we move into the next 200 years of Fitzroy's life. Read 1 Peter 5. Think over such things and be careful as you write those names in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray. Lord, we're looking for shepherds and pastors and people who are content in their own skin. There are many among us. Guide us by your spirit as we vote for our new elders, that we will find those who will take us into the next part of our story and history of being a witness for Jesus in the center of Belfast. Lead us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.